Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's Signature NHL Hockey Pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in Sun Perry, Wisconsin. That's very close to Rotowire headquarters over in Madison. And we're grateful for the support from our primary sponsors at Owner's Box. You'll hear a little bit more about them later in the show. Off the top, partner... The NHL player discipline uh, topic has to be raised by us again. It seems like we deal this w- with this every year. Uh, it's long been a point of debate for us, and we revisit it with the $1,800 fine that you poke some fun at on social media, levied against Joe Thornton for his stick foul to the private parts of an opponent in a game last week. What do you say? Well, I mean, the biggest thing, and, and what I was trying to get at on, on Twitter is, like, these fine amounts, you know, it, it even said in the, the player, you know, Department of Player Safety, like, tweet about it. It was, like, the maximum amount, you know, for allowed for slashing, blah, 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 like, 1800 bucks. Now, look, for you or me, Paul, and, you know, probably most of our listeners, like, 1800 bucks, that'd be a pretty hefty fine, but for a guy that's been in the league for, you know, 20-some years is making even at league minimum $750,000 this year. Like, what does an $1,800 fine do for Joe Thornton? Like, it's nothing. Like, what does he care? Um, So that's kind of, you know, what I was mostly poking fun at is, like, for starters, like, let's get these fines, you know, more on track. Now, of course, they have to be agreed upon with the NHLPA and, of course, you know, no, no blame for the players association. Like they should do everything they can, right. To have these max fines be as little as possible. That's their job. But it just, it seems so silly. Like regardless of, of whatever the incident is, you see other ones where it's, you know, $5,000 for a cross check or, or something like that. And almost every time these, these tweets from department of player safety says, you know, the maximum allowable amount, and it's absolutely nothing. So, so that's what I think is the biggest joke here: is that these fine amounts have no impact. So, if you're going to try and stop, some, you know, if if it's supposed to be a deterrent, right? Like these fines certainly aren't going to be a deterrent for anything. And that's what the point that I agree with you on the most, AJ. So I say hit them hard in the pocketbook, but also suspend them for a while, uh, so that we can clean up this aspect of the game. That's pretty unsavory. I mean. Sure, you get a bit of a chuckle when you see, may see the guy writhing around in pain because we've all been there, right? But uh, the way that it happened with the stick foul, it could be an, uh, lead to even an injury. So you want to deter that kind of behavior and you stop it if you can. So I say make the fine more significant. I think we agree on that. But also make them sit out some time. And that will also affect their, their money intake because that would be without pay. The suspensions uh, would be ruled that way. So again, do it early in the season. The message is delivered. Right off the hop, people get it, and we see this nonsense out of the game. You know, we've been sol- trying to solve this problem for years for the NHL, and we're not the only ones. The, the Department of Player Safety, you said it, and I've said it before, they are way too lenient, and uh, they need to be updated in terms of the fines and, and punishments. We're living in 2021, not the 1960s. So, I mean, to be fair, I, I think Jumbo, you know, was just making sure, uh, you know, the equipment was all there. Just, you know, checking <laughs> to make sure he's properly equipped, equipped with a, uh, you know, groin protector, if you will, or whatever they want to call it these days. But, uh, you know, just, just doing a quick equipment check. That's all it was. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we can laugh about it because it didn't happen to us. But, I mean, 
uh, it's just something that we want the NHL to get it right. Uh, it's the best league in the world for my money, but these unsavory elements just bring it down a notch. Any case, AJ, for the benefit of our, our new listeners and a reminder to some of our old ones, we are going to go back to our normal uh, activity now that we've done the player, the power play previews, the division previews. It's time to get into in-season updates about what's going on with each club. We'll touch on injury situations, upgrading, updating the line combinations, and taking a look at who's hot and who's not. So with that, uh, why don't you take us uh, into the Anaheim Ducks with your quick snapshot of what's going on there. Well, I mean, the biggest thing that's going on for the Anaheim Ducks right now is the fact that they're, you know, third in the Pacific Division. Now, of course, it's just four games in, but uh, both of those wins have come, uh, you know, thanks to John Gibson, who's had a bit of a a career uh, resurgence, at least here early in the season. Let's not forget, last year, he only had nine wins. Uh, That's his lowest total since becoming, you know, a full-time NHL uh, player. So he's got two already, so I I think we can all feel pretty confident he'll get past that nine mark here, but perhaps more impressive is the 1.46 goals against average to start the year. I do think it's a little interesting. Now, I know they had a back-to-back in there, um, but at this point, it's through four games, it's been an even split share uh, with Anthony Stolarts there. Gibson will go tonight. That'll be his third of the year, and, and we'll see how he performs against, against the Jets tonight. But I, I do find it interesting, kind of the goalie workload early in the season. I'm not suggesting Stolarts is going to replace him as the number one, uh, certainly not, but maybe he's going to get a few more games than we might have otherwise thought in terms of injury concerns. Um, you know, Mason McTavish and Max Jones are both on injured reserve, um, but those guys aren't really guys that I think would have a significant impact. Maybe Jones a little bit more, um, but so far they've avoided any major problems uh, on the injury front. And, you know, I'm pleased to see that a guy like Cam Fowler has picked up his game this guy should be one of the premier offensive pieces around the league when it comes to defensemen. He's kind of lagged in that area in the last couple of years. But with three points in four games, I'm keeping an eye on him. And certainly Jamie Drysdale is another guy that they're looking at to boost the offense from the back end. He has a pair of points to his ledger. So some, uh, some upward mobility in there in terms of the depth on the blue line. Next up, we look at the Arizona club. Uh, we thought that this would be a, a bottom feeder in the league. And off the first three games... We're seeing a club with an 0-2-1 record, AJ, so not surprised is what I'll say. And uh, looking for offense is the, the name of the game for this club, and it's been wanting right now. But Clay, Clay, Clayton Keller is a guy that has kind of done what we expect him to do, is be among the leaders there, and ditto for Phil Kessel. They've each got three points so far. Lawson Krause is a guy that they're looking for big things from. He's got to take the next step at some point. This guy was recently a high draft pick by this club. And it's time in his third or fourth season as a pro to see something. Maybe we are. He's got two points in three games played along with 11 penalty minutes. If you're in a penalty minute league, that's good news for you. But he also has delivered seven hits. So that's the kind of game that this guy plays. And if he can continue at this pace, he's going to be one of those guys that we be looking at at the end of the year as a breakout candidate. But they, at the other end of the spectrum, you're looking at a guy like Nick Schmaltz. I think this, this fellow should be one of the leaders as well, and he's been blank in three games, so want to see that change. Keep an eye on him. And Jacob Chikrin, a guy that we both highlighted on this team as well as being a, maybe the key offensive piece from the back end, uh, 
to, to be a scorer and a leader on the power play. So far, he's been blank and a minus seven, which is probably even more alarming. But on the other hand, we got a good performance out of Shane Gostis Bear. He's got four points in three games so far, AJ, and that's really good news for, for the Ducks to see a guy like him performing offensively. Maybe are we going to see something out of him that we saw a couple of years ago when he was Philadelphia property and garnered something in the order of 60 points? I don't think so, but to pencil this guy in for 30 to 40 could be a nice outcome for this club. Yeah, I definitely think that's that's where it's trending, at least early in the season here. What's interesting is the ice time for, for me. You look at the last couple of years, uh, you know, his last three seasons in Philadelphia, he was averaging less than 20 minutes a game. He's over that so far through through the first three here in Arizona. Again, it's, it's early in the season to draw a bunch of conclusions, but if he's playing that much ice time, he is factoring in heavily on the power play with Arizona as well. Uh, two of his four assists have come with the man advantage. So uh, I do think 30 to 40 points might be uh, achievable for him. You know, again, you look at his top, top years. You mentioned that 65-point year. He was averaging over 21 minutes a night. He had uh, 17 goals, 29 assists in his rookie season. That was the only other time he's averaged over 20 minutes a night. So he's a high workload guy and seems to get better with the more minutes that he has. So I, I definitely would watch, uh, keep an eye on him, especially in your leagues. Um, I don't know if I'm totally ready personally to, to dive right in here. Um, you know, on, on Shane Gossip just because he has been pretty streaky, but uh, it's trending in the right direction. So, so we'll leave it at that. I'll dive us into the Boston Bruins here. Um, you know, as always, it's, it's that top group that leads the way. Uh, and they haven't played a ton of games compared to the rest of the league. We've got several teams have played, you know, four games already. Boston just played their second one uh, last night, but they've gotten three goals out of Brad Marchand, two assists out of David Pasternak. Um, what more can you ask for? I mean, you could maybe pick on the fact that Patrice Bergeron doesn't have any points, but again, that's just through the first three games. So it's, it's early in the season. I would, uh, you know, express a little bit of a concern in terms of the net minding here. Uh, Jeremy Swayman has been the guy through the first two games. One and one record is fine, but the save percentage is is sub nine hundred. It's, it's uh, eight eight five right now. That's a concern for me. I, I'm not as confident on, on Linus Olmark um, in his game in, in general. I never really liked what he was showing in Buffalo. Um, and so, I, you know, obviously you want to get more out of him. He will play their next game uh, tomorrow. Uh, they're playing against the Sabres, so not a surprise that Olmark's going to take that game. And maybe that will be an opportunity for Swayman to maybe get a night off, kind of reassess things from, you know, from a different perspective and, and get his season on track. Uh, you know what? I'll pick up on that thread in the goaltending situation. I was a little surprised Olmark hasn't played yet, but I guess the next game is against the Buffalo Sabres, obviously, that's the team he came from. So uh, there'll be some knowledge about uh, from both sides that might impact the outcome there. But they signed this guy to a big ticket, AJ, over a number of years. So I think they're looking for him to take the lion's share of the net. And I'm surprised that he didn't get uh, any of the first couple of starts. But uh, I expect that to change going forward. And, uh, you know, he performed in a bit of a rubber factory. That's kind of Im impacted his numbers. But when I look at them, he had a pretty good goals against and a pretty good save percentage considering her circumstance there. And that's what the Bruins saw when they, they signed him. So 
I'm a little more optimistic for a good outcome for him there than, than it seems you are. We'll see how that plays out. But offensively, they've got to find some depth scoring. Taylor Hall is supposed to be a key guy in that regard. He had, has had four shots in his first two games, very small sample size. He does have a goal. It's a breakaway, a nice shot that I saw. But uh, they need uh, more support than that. And Nick Foligno is a guy that they're pointing at to provide some of that. Jake DeBrusque has been in the, had been in the doghouse much of last season, AJ, but seems to be off to a bit of a better start. He has a goal already on his ledger. So there are some reasons for optimism in terms of adept scoring there that they're hoping for, for some contributions. And I've got an eye on Trent, Trent Frederick. You know, he's built like I like my players, rugged with a bit of a, fi uh, a finesse around the net uh, ability. And so I'm looking for, for that to show uh, sometime soon. And uh, I will raise a Spocky and eyebrow about Patrice Bergeron. He's heading into his age 35 or 36 season. He's getting up there in years. And you wonder, is this a year where you kind of see a bit of a regression in his totals? He's been blanked in the first two games, as you noted, while his wingers did produce uh, a total of five points between them. So nothing to be alarmed about yet, but something to keep an eye on in the near future. Speaking of the Buffalo Sabres, though, AJ, this is a team that's surprised everybody so far. They're undefeated through three games and at the top of the Atlantic Division. Nobody saw that coming at any point in time this year. And it's been on the strength of keeping a lid on the goals against. They've only got surrendered four through three games, and 40-year-old Craig Anderson is received for two of those wins. I don't think you're going to hear these kind of rave reviews about us uh, about us talking about the Sabres in the near in the near future, even in the long term. It's a blip, and it's one of these early season anomalies that I think will correct itself. But in the interim, a guy like Victor Olofsson is living up to the billing that we had for him as maybe one of the on-ice leaders here. He's got three points to his record. Colin Miller is a guy that I've been high on for a long time as a very skilled uh, skater and, and a guy with a really good shot. He got four points to lead the scoring from the back end. So uh, looking for Rasmus Dahlin to kind of find his game for me is, is something uh, of a next step. He's a plus three so far with a couple of points and a fine start for him. Uh, any thoughts about these guys? Well, I think uh, I think the biggest thing for me is is not really being surprised um, by Victor Olafson. You know, Paul, obviously you've heard me on our segments, our YouTube segments with DraftKings, I've been pumping him up in terms of DFS value for the last several weeks um, because he has produced, you know, pretty well to, to start the season. And his salary, at least on DraftKings, um, I haven't checked his FanDuel numbers, but his salary on DraftKings just doesn't reflect his production at this point. And I think he should be in line to continue at that level. You know, the other important thing for the Sabres to, for this early year start is Jeff Skinner scored a goal. Um, so, uh, maybe, maybe that's a good start for them. You know, reminder, he had just seven goals last year. They're certainly paying him like a, a 40 goal producer, which he was his first year in Buffalo. Obviously, you know, the last two seasons have been shortened, but his numbers haven't really reflected even, you know, the fact that they were shortened. Now I will say this about Buffalo's, you know, three game or three wins start to the season. You have to look at who they played Montreal, who's been awful, Arizona, who we talked about not being great either. Um, and then Vancouver, that might be the one, you know, maybe good win for them. But even Vancouver is not like, you know, a lock playoff team or anything like that, at, at, at least in my opinion here. So it is important to gauge who they're playing against. Um, I think the next three games are, are going to be a good test for Buffalo. They've got Boston, New Jersey, 
in Tampa Bay coming up next. So that'll be give us a better gauge of, of where the Sabres are. Like you, Paul, I anticipate that they'll drop back a little bit uh, and, and not be where they you know where they are right now. In Carolina, uh, some kind of shuffling up of the deck has led um, to some interesting line combinations. Uh, they're going to move Jesperi Kotkaniemi up to the top line, at least for tonight, with Sebastian Ajo and Tuvo Teravainen, which means Svechnikov and Trocek will pair with Martin Nekash on the third. Uh, and then Nino Niederreiter is the odd man out here. He's the one that drops to the third line. But really, when you're playing with Jordan Stahl and Jasper Fast, like that's not a terrible spot to be in. Again, it's it's hard to pick a bad line with this group. It is interesting to see them kind of shuffling things around already uh, in terms of their line combinations here, especially when you consider like through the first two games, you know, Sveshnikov has four points, including three goals. Teravainen has three as well. A lot of their production has come on the power play. You know, Sveshnikov, two power play points, Teravainen one. Um, so there, that is something to keep an eye on. But overall, um, I do like what Carolina's uh, Carolina's selling at this point, if you will. Uh, you know, their wins, again, uh, the Islanders are, you know, set to be a playoff team, potentially Metro winners, uh, if, you know, if they can kind of fix some early season problems. Nashville, never an easy out, even though they may or may not be a playoff team. So solid wins. Um, you know, if you're... Staying on later for our, for our DFS advice, uh, I'll just say this. Don't sleep on Carolina tonight. That's that's my my teaser for later in the show, Paul. You know what, AJ? I think you're onto something there, and I might be right there with you, but the line shuffling, I think it comes at an interesting time to put Kotkaniemi on the first line as they head to Montreal for tonight's game. I can't wait to see what the atmosphere and reception will be like for this youngster. It will be hostile, I do believe because of the fact that he signed to the, with this team and left the Canadians on a rare uh, use of the, the uh, signing option that, that teams have to take people away from other play teams. And uh, he signed the offer sheet, and Montreal didn't match it. And now we'll get to see those two teams on the ice together, and it'll be an interesting dynamic. But Carolina looks to be just who we thought they were, and a big part of it, too, is Freddie Anderson has slid in there and looked really good in his first two games, and he has a great record uh, against Montreal in his career. So there's an, a real tip of the hand in terms of where I'm going for my goaltender this evening. In terms of the next team up, Cal Calgary, they've had an interesting start to the season, too, partner. And uh, it's, it's guys that are... At the, at the top end of their roster who are being challenged to live up to that billing, or I think we can anticipate there'll be some shuffling out of town if they don't get their act together. I'm thinking about the likes of Gaudreau and Tuchuk and, and even their top center, Sean Monaghan, in the past couple of years. Monaghan's the one that's lagging behind the other two guys. They've scored a couple of points each. And Monaghan, to me, looks a little bit lost on what I've seen so far, AJ. And uh, he, he's getting paid good money to play that position, but he might see the top-line role eventually to a guy like Michael Backlund uh, in that circumstance there. And and you wonder who's going to step up for them on the blue line with the departure of Mark Giordano. Uh, we thought it might be Rasmus Anderson, and he's got two points in the early going as well as four shots on goal, uh, plus one so far. He's blocked a few shots. He's uh, a guy that kind of mirrors what you might have expected from Giordano, and so that's so far it's a pretty good replacement. And beyond that, Andrew Mangipani is a depth forward that I like very much. And he also has a goal in the two games so far, as well as uh, a couple of shots on goal hits. So he, he's doing 
a little bit of everything too, and we expect I expect him to continue in battle for a top six role there. So that's some surprises and some disappointments in Calgary for me. Yeah, I think another you know person you have to point to in terms of disappointment again early on, but Jacob Markstrom o one and one to start the year a .881 save percentage, 3.43 goals against average. I mean, let's be blunt, that's that's not good enough. Now, obviously, getting five hung on you by the Edmonton Oilers uh, isn't uh, a unique position to be in in, in today's NHL. Um, they're going to hang a lot of goals on a lot of people. So, um, you know, nothing to be really ashamed of there. But obviously, you would expect a little bit better when you face the Anaheim Ducks, giving up, you know, three goals. Uh, to, to that side. So I'll dive us into the Chicago Blackhawks who uh, have shuffled things around a little bit. Uh, just today, Philip Kurashev and Adam Gaudet are out. Guys like Ryan Carpenter and then Dylan Strome, who's been reportedly on the trade block um, and hasn't played in any of their first four games. He's going to get a look uh, tonight. So a, a little bit of a shuffle around there in terms of offense. And then interestingly, um, after kind of a rough start to the season, there's no way around it. Uh, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury 0-3 with a 5.63 goals against average. Certainly some of that is bolstered by the fact uh, he got pulled uh, in the game at Pittsburgh after giving up four goals on 10 shots. That's skewing his goals against average because for that game it was 21.8. <laughs> but obviously, um, you know, he has struggled early um, in Chicago here. So they're going to give him the night off. Kevin Lankinen going to get the start tonight. And, and I think that's a good call. I, I think they, um, you know, maybe need to, to give Flurry some time to, to get right. You know, every single game so far for the flower has been four goals allowed. Uh, and he knows that's not good enough. I, I wouldn't be too worried if I was a, a, a Hawks fan here. You're in kind of a weaker central in, in my opinion, where, you know, the third spot here I think is, is pretty, Open for the taking. Um, Colorado will win it, you know, despite their struggles. We'll talk about them in a bit. But other than that, I, I think they can get back into contention here after a rough start. But they are going to need better from, from the flower here. And looking ahead, AJ, they got a bit of a tough stretch. That, I mean, they got Detroit in, uh, in their next game. But after that, it's Toronto, Carolina, St. Louis, an improved Ottawa team, and then Carolina again. So uh, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. But the leadership crew here is intact once again with Jonathan Taves returning to the fold. He has yet to figure in offensively, as you might expect. He's got to take some time to get himself right. He's a plus four, but no points so far, and uh, only a couple of hits on his ledger. You expect him to be more involved than he has been so far, and so I expect that to change uh, as he gets a few more reps and all will be well there. But his running mate for years and years has been Patrick Kane, and he's just doing Patrick Kane things. He's a point-of-game player and, again, will lead this club. But right behind him, Kirby Dock is healthy, AJ, and that's a guy that will be one of the leadership core offensively here. He's got three points already and a guy that we thought had, would have some real upward mobility in terms of his point production and, and value to this team this season. But right behind him is a guy that I want to spend a moment to talk on, and that's Seth Jones. And I thought the move that they, that they made to sign him as their linchpin on the back end would solve a few problems. And right off the bat, it looks like it has. He's, he's filling in capably as a, a power play guy at the point. He's got a, a, a big booming shot that he adds to that mix. He's a big physical guy. And uh, I think he's going to be one of the top offensive pieces among defensemen in this league uh, for years, uh, as well as his 
mean streak and physicality. So they got the whole package there, and uh, I'm really high on him. Up next, then, we're going to talk about the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Jackets are a team that we didn't expect a heck of a lot from, and uh, they haven't disappointed us too too much, AJ. Well, they have two wins to show for their record. I shouldn't malign them so much, and, and but I still have some questions about this team, so I'm not going to get too excited, but I will run through a couple of guys that really the pressure's on them to perform, and it looks like Patrick Liney is one of those guys who's ready to deliver, deliver four points on his re resume so far and four points with Max Domi, but the news beside Domi also deals with a rib injury that's going to sideline him for a while, and that's going to really hamper this offense because then it forces them to use Boone Jenner in a scoring line role. That's that's miscasting him. I don't mind Jack Roslovic being there as well, but the question for me is Jenner, more of a checking line guy, uh, and, and he's now thrust in the top-line role. Jacob Voracek playing first-line minutes on the right side. You know, that's when he was at his best in Philadelphia and was number one winger. They played around with him the last couple of years, and it really saw his stock drop, in my estimation, and he's got a chance to rehab that image with a nicer role here that's more in line with his skill set. Gustav Nyquist is a guy they're looking for a big season from on the left side. He's been injury-prone the last couple of seasons, too. So I think you can expect a bit better offense out of this team going forward. But so far, they've kept a lid on, on things that, with a good defensive structure. And they've got a nice goalie pairing there in Merz Lickens and Corpusalo. Each of them has factored in so far. Yeah, the goaltending here has been the key to their strong start to the season. Look, Merz Lickens... Two wins, .948 save percentage. You'd be certainly thrilled about that. And then you've got Corpusalo comes out. Yeah, he gets hung with the loss, but he faced 43 shots in that game, stopped 41 of them. Uh, so really a, a good outing by, by Corpusalo in that one. I, I blame that one more on the offense than anything else. You know, we talked early in the season that one player with an opportunity to step into a bigger role with Seth Jones going to Chicago was Zach Wierenski, and, and so far so good for them. Uh, two of his three points have come with the man advantage, and, and really he's you know discovered his game. He was dealing, uh, missed some practice time, but it sounds like it's not going to impact him at all. He'll, he'll be ready for the game right around the corner. In Colorado, you know, the start to the year might not be exactly what they were hoping for when you consider this is a team that we kind of projected, uh, pretty much everybody projected, to walk away with the Central they're one and two to start the year, but you have to give them a little bit of a break considering they missed Nathan McKinnon for a couple games due, due to his placement on the, in the COVID protocols, and Gabriel Landeskog was suspended. So we haven't really seen these guys at full strength, at least offensively yet. I will point out the one thing that you know we both, my, myself in particular, but both kind of highlighted was, are you really better in net with Darcy Kemper instead of uh, Philip Grubauer? And the answer so far is no. Uh, you know, 3.79 goals against average. You know, he doesn't have to be perfect, right? When you've got that kind of offense in front of you, you can win shootout games with, with that top line. But he needs to be better than that. If he can keep it closer, even to three, like even all the way down at around three, which most goaltenders you would hope to be closer, you know, Two seven five at, at your worst, but if he can keep it, you know, down around three, the offense should be able to carry him the rest of the way. I expect it'll pick up now that those top guys are able to actually play together, though. I give you credit for questioning the situation with Kemper, AJ. That was one of your early calls. Uh, I thought that he would 
instantly fit in like a glove here. He has had a, a very nice run the last couple of years in lesser situations with weaker teams. And so I thought the fit would be seamless, but uh, evidently there are some growing pains here. And uh, they are not helped by the fact that a couple of guys are on the IR. Valerie Nichushkin is a guy who I thought should push for second line, maybe third line minutes at worst. And he's on the IR. And so is Devin Taves, a young defenseman that I thought would really solidify the top six. It's going to force them to use Jack Johnson and Ryan Murray a little bit more than maybe they intended uh, at the outset. And speaking of teams that are rebounding from injury situations, the Dallas Stars are a club that finally must feel like the worm has turned for them. They've got Sagan in the lineup. They've got Radulov in the lineup. They haven't missed a game between them, although it's only four games in. And Radulov has already hit the scoreboard. Sagan, not yet, but uh, the fact that those guys are in the fold and around other guys like uh, like uh, Gurianov and and Jamie Benn, this is a good core, offensive core, AG. I think that there's really some good depth here. they got a couple of youngsters in there. Rupi Hintz is another guy that should be a prolific scorer in this mix. So I like their top six forwards a lot, and so we'll see how that unfolds. But they've suffered a bit of a blow on the back end on defense with an injury that has sidelined uh, John Klingberg. This guy was their power play quarterback for much of last season and much of the last couple of seasons, in fact. And now the pressure of that role is squarely on the shoulders of Miro Heiskanen, and maybe Ryan Suter is amply qualified to, to fit into that role. But th there's not much news about Klingberg's hurt other than it's a day-to-day -day injury. I've got him in on a couple of my rosters, so I'm looking for more clarity. I wonder if you can shed some light there with the information flow that you guys get at the home office. Well, unfortunately, the team's not, you know, not providing much more. They, you know, for, for all three of their guys that are banged up right now, that's that's Klingberg, Jason Robertson, and, and Blake Como. They basically said uh, they are doubtful. You know, they're, uh, Klingberg skated for a portion of practice today. Robertson and Como are expected to do a little skating tomorrow, but they're all considered doubtful for Friday's game. Um, so I wouldn't expect them in the lineup, at least for that one. Um, it's interesting your take, Paul, that, that you feel, you know, Radulov and, and Ben just being healthy and in the lineup is, is a good thing for Dallas. And while I certainly agree, I look at their stat line and I think, oh, here we are again. Same old story with the <laughs> Dallas Stars. Tyler Sagan, Alexander Radulov, and Jamie Ben combined for two assists, no goals, and their top guys aren't carrying the load. That's been the story for this team the last couple of years. So, uh, it does go to show you, you know, you can see different things with the same stats. Uh, obviously, you're a glass half full guy, Paul, <laughs> and, and see some uh, some good news for them. I obviously uh, do not here. In Detroit, uh, this is exactly what we all predicted, right? That the Red Wings would be uh, undefeated to, to start, <laughs> or uh, not undefeated, but they haven't lost in regulation, rather. To start the year, they'd be near the top of the Atlantic, right? We, we all saw this coming. Um, you know, one of the things that I'll immediately point out for this team is that uh, the good news is they're getting huge production out of Tyler Bertuzzi. He's got five goals, one assist uh, through the first three games. Only one of those uh, tallies has, has come with the power play, so he's scoring five on five. Um, but if you're a Tyler Bertuzzi season-long player, you better find somebody else to put in your lineup on Saturday as the team travels uh, to Montreal, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're they're headed to to Canada nonetheless, uh, and he won't be available for that game. It is in fact Montreal, so that's obviously a concern heading into the rest of the week. You have to know 
if they're doing a, a Canadian swing here. It's it's just one game. He should be back in action versus Chicago, but uh, due to his, his COVID status, he won't be able to play in Canada. I would expect a guy like Robbie Fabry or Vladislav Nemesikov will probably get the look on the top line with Dylan Larkin and Lucas Raymond. Uh, this is a team to watch right now. Uh, Nedeljkovic was shelled in that first game. He got the one point for the for the overtime loss and a bit of a shootout. But Thomas Grice has been phenomenal for them to start the year. Uh, certainly out you know out kicking his coverage, if you will, to to borrow an NFL term here. Uh, 0.969 save percentage in those first two games. I wouldn't expect that to hold up throughout the year, but um, he seems to be playing himself into more share of the workload. At, at least that's that's what I would expect moving forward based on his early start. Right, AJ. I think it's worth mentioning the Lucas Raymond situation. I didn't expect him to be in the mix for a top six role on the right side here. thought Philip Savino certainly would be a candidate. And Jacob Vrana at the beginning of the season would have been, but he's out for months now. And that's why Raymond is getting a good run at the right wing spot. And as long as he's there beside Larkin and Bertuzzi, I'll say after the Montreal game when they get to play in the States again, uh, playing with Bertuzzi and Larkin is going to be a bonanza for Raymond. He'll be a really interesting low-end BFS option that you might want to slide in there when you want to get some of the other big boys around the league into your lineup as well. So something to keep in mind. And also, we haven't mentioned Moritz Sider at all, AJ. And this is a guy who figures he's getting a lot of great press in the local media in Detroit. They're expect they look at talk about jump, jumping the gun a little bit. They're mentioning him in the same breath as Nick Lidstrom. Let's <laughs> put some cold water on that one right away. Nick Lidstrom might be next to Bobby Orr the best defenseman I ever saw play in the league. So uh, that's very high praise. I think it's way premature. But it speaks to the skill set that this guy brings to the table. And off the start of the season, he's shown some of that skill as well. He's got three points to show for his record, as well as a plus two rating. And he's shown a bit of a physical side as well with four four hits to his record. So uh, that certainly is in line with what Nick Lidstrom was all about, filling the stats sheet. But let's wait until we get a sample size of maybe a couple of seasons before we made that, that comparison. Certainly, he's got the size going for him, and right now, the early going, it's it's good traction. So they also have Nick Letty on the back end. That's two offensive pieces that weren't there before. So along with Philip Ronick, they have three credible defensemen uh, scoring options back there, and that's a bit of news for a team that is hoping to take a step upward, but they're in a real bear of a division here. They should be 3-0. and They lost that game against Tampa. I saw it. They were up 6-3 to late in the third period, and all of a sudden, they started to look like the Red Wings of the last couple of years, and they frittered that game away completely in overtime, 7-6 loss. But still, they have two very nice wins before that, and reason for optimism as a result. Up next, we're going to take a look at the Edmonton Oilers, and boy, oh boy, the top guns are firing. Uh, didn't take long for Dreisaitl and McDavid to take their Usual spots near the top of the NHL standings. They're tied to lead the league with eight points. There's another guy tied with them from another club, but they're doing what was expected of them. However, they found a running mate for these guys in Jesse Pugliarvi last year, AJ, and he's a guy that I thought would be primed for a breakout season in that situation last year, and he's continued it this year with six points on his resume. They also have Zach Hyman, uh, their big free agent signing in the offseason who has a couple of points as well. So it's not just Dreisaitl and McDavid. They have some credible options around them. 
And just like I mentioned the stud defenseman in Chicago, they've got a stud one here in Edmonton. That I, and I'm all over Darnell Nurse. I'm in there for him all day. He's got racked up 20 hits already in three games, AJ. So if you're in a league that looks at that category, as well as block shots, he has five. I, I drafted him early, AJ, and I'm really glad that I did because I think he's gonna. the offensive numbers are going to be there, but the peripherals are going to be there and a lot of the advanced stats too. He's going to be a guy that really fills up your scorecard in a big way. Uh, we talked about this on DraftKings, too. I'll mention the name of Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's not getting any love there, AJ, considering the price tags we've seen on Dreisaitl and McDavid. I don't have an answer for that. This guy's playing top-line minutes with McDavid, and he's also got three points on, uh, on, the, on the board as already in the three games and getting first-line minutes on the power play. you got to help me out and figure out why he's, his price tag is so low. Well, I mean, you know, his his supporting cast isn't, you know, Zach, Zach Hyman and, and Kyler Yamamoto aren't bad by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, in past seasons, we've seen him move to the wing, uh, either with McDavid or, or Dreisaitl as his center. Um, so, you know, you know, the supporting cast isn't as good as it has been in the past. So that could certainly be part of the decision there. But I do agree with you. I think, you know, three assists in three games, two of them coming with a man advantage. Like, I agree. His salary should absolutely be be higher here, Paul. I'm, I'm fully with you on that one. The one other thing to add on the injury front is that Mike Smith has unfortunately gone on to injured reserve for them with a leg injury. Now, so far, it's just your regular, you know, seven-day injured reserve. So he'll be out through the weekend, which is a concern because they have a back-to-back tonight and tomorrow, which means we'll probably see Koskinen tonight and then Stuart Skinner, uh, a name you probably are not familiar with. Uh, in fact, I can confirm it'll be Koskinen tonight. Stuart Skinner will likely go Friday. Um, I will throw the caveat in there. They After those two games, they're off until the next Wednesday. They could get Smith back till then. So if Smith has a chance of playing in that Wednesday plus the extra time off, maybe they go Koskinen back-to-back. Might be worth considering in your, you know, your season-long leagues if you're able to pick up a goalie late and he's going to get two starts. Might be worth taking a look at. I know we haven't always been particularly high on Koskinen on, on our show here, Paul. Um, but good start to the season in his one kind of deputy appearance. And again, if he takes both games with back-to-back, which isn't impossible, um, he, he could add some some decent value there. Well, in Florida, sorry. No, go ahead, Paul. What do you... <laughs> well, I want to take us into the Florida Panthers. This is a team that we thought that would be a real factor in the Atlantic Division and off the early returns. It looks that way for sure. They have rolled to three straight wins, and they've only given up a total of six goals against in those tilts. And I'm surprised to note that Sergei Bobrovsky has received for the first uh, first couple of wins of his season already. I thought that there'd be some questions around him and that they would be in a hurry to rush Spencer Knight into the fray. But right right now, we can say two games for Bobrovsky, one for Knight, and all victories so far. So it's all sunshine and roses over there in the, in uh, Florida. And uh, the guys up front are, are the usual suspects leading the parade. Alexander Barkov, I, I, I like this guy enough to pick him in a couple of my leagues this year early on. And he hasn't disappointed either with five points so far in the three games played. I think he's going to be easily into the top 10 scorers in the league, but uh, I'm also curious to see if Carter Verhage can continue what he showed us last year and off the early 
returns, it seems like he's certainly capable. He signed a nice uh, extension uh, in the offseason, rewarding him for that performance, and he's kept it up with four points in the first three games. And uh, if you picked him in the mid to late rounds of your draft, you've done, you're looking like you're in for a good season out of him again. Another guy that we wondered how he would start the season is Aaron Eckblad. He's had a couple of checkered years in terms of physical well-being, but three points, including two goals, as well as a plus four, tell me that he's looking like uh, the former number one draft pick overall in his draft class. And then right behind him, a couple of guys that are supposed to handle some of the uh, residual scoring, secondary scoring, if you'll call it, Sam Bennett and Anthony Duclair, each with three goals so far. So uh, not many negatives to report here that I can see. Maybe you can find one or find some more positive ones. No, I really don't. I mean, Gustav Forsling producing for them is is kind of just a bonus. Uh, Brandon Montour has been seeing power play opportunities. So really defensively, they look pretty good uh, in terms of being able to balance kind of offense and defense on this team. You know, if maybe there's a couple things you want to point to. If, if you really have to find something negative, I would have liked to maybe have seen a point or two out of Patrick Hornquist and Joe Thornton at this point. They're, they're both with zeros right now, especially Hornquist, given his net front presence on, on the power play. You maybe would have expected something out of him, but that's really just being kind of nitpicky here for a team that looks really good. Um, you know, we talked uh, earlier today, Paul, about the fact that Florida and Colorado are playing tonight, and it's one of the few times this season that I think you're going to see Colorado as, as the underdog in a game. Uh, you know, it is in Florida. That obviously helps uh, the, the travel there. Uh, so something to, something to watch that, you know, we were both high on them to start the year, and, and that certainly hasn't changed at this point. One team neither of us was very high on this year was the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, they are, you know, putting together a, an okay start to the year, if you will. Uh, you know, one win, two losses, the net mining has been fine. Uh, Cal Pedersen with uh, one win, one loss, a .929 save percentage. Jonathan Quick at an even 900 there in his one loss. The biggest news for them is, is the offensive front. They've got uh, their their guy, Anze Kopitar, right there in the mix. He's that player that you mentioned uh, with the Edmonton duo at the top of the, the standings right now. Five goals in three games, eight points overall. Uh, three of those coming with the man advantage. So if you were an Anze Kopitar drafter this season, that's looking like a pretty good move. Victor Arvidsson is showing up pretty well to start the year as well. Uh, two points in, in three games. Uh, maligned at times during his uh, stop in Nashville, but so far uh, looking a lot better there. Yeah, I, I echo your comments, and I think it's interesting to note that the old guard is still leading the way when you consider Kopitar and Doughty as their top two point getters. Doughty, with seven points, he vowed that he would still be among the top scoring defensemen, and he's backing up his words with a strong start so far this season. But they have built up the supporting cast around these guys. Mikey Anderson, Sean Walker haven't scored yet on the back end, but I think they're going to be productive. Alex Edler is a guy that I'm hoping can stay healthy here. He has been a power play quarterback in the past and could be the number two offensive defenseman in this mix. But I'm excited for this team because not only do they have Kopitar going and Dustin Brown, another veteran, but you mentioned Arvidsson in the mix now, and he's already hit the score sheet. We've seen some growth from Alex Iafalo in the last couple of seasons. 
They're excited about the prospect, Vladimir Takev, and he's got a couple of points already. So it's not just a couple of guys that are dealing, handling the offense. And then behind them all in a third line role is Philip Deneau. We know all about how his, his checking can stifle opposing lines, and so they're counting on that. And things are really starting to come together for this club, and I think the future could be bright with the changeover that they're making with some young blood. Another team that fits the bill in that regard, they shed a couple of contract, ugly contracts in the last little while, and so now they've made room for some offensive pieces in Minnesota, and Kirill Kaprasov has picked up where he left off last season as one of the top rookies in the league with five points, and I've spoken very uh, very eloquently, I hope, about Matt Zuccarello being one of the top wingers in terms of being a playmaker type. He's got three assists to go with two goals. And at five points himself after only three games played. Joel Eriksson is a guy that has slid into a top six role here as a uh, top center here. He's got three goals as well. It's 12 shots on goal that would excite me. If he can continue anywhere close to three, four shots on goal a game, he's going to have some pretty crooked numbers by the end of the year. And along with Kaprasov, I'm excited. They have a nice one-two punch on the wings with Kevin Fiala factoring in there. Uh, there were times we spoke about him in the last couple of years, AJ, when he just carried this, this offense for, for Minnesota. But now they have some breadth there along with uh, the depth that they've accumulated on defense. We've talked about a couple of their guys in the back end, Brodine and Spurgeon, supposed to be part of their offensive mix and leadership from the back end. They have each got a point, but we're expecting them to be 30 to 40 point guys each. And that's a luxury that not a lot of teams can claim. And then in the back, of the, and in that situation, we're looking at Cam Talbot. He's been not getting the due that he deserves, I don't think, AJ. And that might come from playing in, in uh, one of the less media-hungry parts of, of the states and, and Minnesota. Although it is a, a great hockey capital, I don't find that this team gets the coverage that I think they deserve when they're performing this well. They're 3-0 and and only eight goals against. Uh, good numbers for Talbot and a good start for this team. Well, Paul, I know you won't understand this up, up in Canada, but one of the things that, that has been talked about with Minnesota is what they call hockey fatigue. I know, again, I know this is a term that Canadians won't understand, um, but with everything, every other level of, of Minnesota being high-profile hockey, sometimes the professional team gets a little under undersold, if you will, just because uh, you know people are watching their kids play at youth level. They're watching, they've got five, six uh you know, D1 caliber uh, college teams. So, uh, again, uh, you know, hockey fatigue, if you will, can be one of the reasons that's at least cited on, way, on why the Wild don't necessarily get the same level of attention that you might expect. You mentioned the goaltending thing. Look, we both were very uh, positive on the season that Kapokakinen had last year, 16-8-0 in, in 24 appearances. And I, I thought, you know, hey, they kick off the season with a back-to-back. We'll see Cochran right away. And instead, they just rolled out Cam Talbot for both games. I, I was definitely surprised by that. Um, it definitely, you know, I, I thought this was one where maybe we'd see close to a 50-50 split. Um, that obviously hasn't been the case and in the early going here. And I would expect that this weekend it won't be the same. I, I imagine that this weekend will be the opportunity for Cochrane to get a first game here. They play Saturday versus Anaheim and Sunday versus Nashville. So I think we'll see him play one. But if you if you took him in your 
uh, season-long leagues, you might be regretting that just a little bit. It seems like Cam Talbot has a firmer hold on this starting job uh, than, than I thought. In Montreal, boy, Paul, you got to just be smiling from ear to ear. Uh, it is, for lack of a better term, a bit of a dumpster fire right now. Um, all of the, the Ottawa Senators from the last several years. You know, you look offensively, they've got three goals in four games. Uh, there's nobody offering much. Now, they did get Mike Hoffman back for their most recent contest, so if he can get up to speed, he's a player that I would maybe tag to produce here uh, at some point. But you talk about, you know, I always highlight Cole Caulfield. He hasn't shown up. No points for him. Nick Suzuki, another guy without any points. And perhaps more concerning uh, for those guys, you know, is is the, the shots here. Um, they're not terrible. Caulfield 11, Suzuki 7. But, again, you know, you and I, Paul, we generally like to see players, especially on first lines, putting three to four up per game. And, and they're not quite at that level right now. Um, and then the goaltending here has just been even worse. Uh, you know, Montreal obviously doesn't have the benefit of, of Carey Price. And we both thought, or maybe just me, I should stop talking for you on the show. I keep doing that, Paul. But at least for me, I, I thought Jake Allen could be could be better. And, and we're filling that gap admirably. That hasn't been the case. It's a .885 save percent for him in three games. The one contest that they rolled out Samuel Montembeau for, he puts up a five goals against average. Uh, and, and really a, a disappointing start for Montreal on all fronts. There's really not any positives you know, I, I hate to toss it to you this way, Paul. Can you find a positive thing to say about the Montreal Canadiens right now? It's a fun city to visit, AJ. How about that? <laughs> but uh, Joel Edmondson is a, is a guy that they like to have in the defensive structure of this team. He's one of those tall trees that I've talked about for the past year in that back end. They're going to miss him for a while. So even more pressure on the likes of Petrie. Charat and Weidman. Weidman is an interesting one for me, AJ. This guy is going to get every opportunity to be that second scoring center behind Petrie. He's also getting a look on the power play. So far, the offense isn't there. Is it going to last? No. There's there's enough skill and talent up front that this team should be much more productive than it is. So if I can throw a bit of a, a hopeful swerve into this uh, look at the Canadians, I'll say that they have more talent than they've, than they've shown. We're both high on Cole Caulfield. He's been blank despite having the double-digit shots on goal. That's going to turn. This guy's way too talented to, to be mired in this kind of a slump. And I hope for his sake he doesn't take too much on of this stress of an 0-4 start. It's going to be 0-5 in all likelihood in a few hours, too, from this broadcast. They've got a tough assignment with Carolina. But look, at this team is not going to go winless. And they have a lot of pieces up front that will eventually start to Put some pucks in the net. Tyler Toffoli, Mike Hoffman on the left side. That's an enviable opportunity for any player at center to play with either of those guys. Jonathan Drouin looks like a renewed player. So there's really hope on the left flank that there wasn't at all last season aside from Toffoli. And then at center, they're looking for big things for Christian Dvorak and Nick Suzuki. To me, that's a more than credible one-two punch. They're looking for Suzuki to take the next big step. They paid him that way. And, of course, they, their heart and soul guys are on the right wing in Josh Anderson and Brendan Gallagher. There's a few guys on that team that I wouldn't mind on my side. I'll be very, very frank about that. The New Jersey Devils up next. This is a team that is off to an interesting start as well. And we see that injury woes have hit this club already too, though. 
and that's a concern when you consider Jack Hughes is looking to be sidelined for a while. He's on the IR. That's a critical blow to this offense. That puts a lot of the pressure in the middle of the ice on Nico Heischer. Both of these guys were high-end draft picks for the club, and they'd hope that they could ice them for a period of time and look at what they have in the middle, but they'll have to wait sometime before Hughes is back in the fold. Zaka and Sharon Govich, credible pieces on the left wing. I have a lot of time for Andreas Johnson as well. And uh, so they have more pieces offensively than they had in the past. I wonder what they're going to get out of, of a guy like Thomas Tatar, though. He was a darling in Montreal for a time last season, AJ. But things fell off later in the year uh, for him over there. And he has two assists to show for his ledger so far and five shots on goal. He'll need to be somebody that gets 40 to 50 points in order to be relevant here. Uh, other than that, I think they're, they're uh, looking for other people to come up from, from the ranks. And maybe Yannick Kwokkanen is a guy that could be productive in a top six role as well. Jimmy VC is a guy that's been around the world uh, in the last few years. He finally scored early in the season uh, already for the Devils, and maybe he's a guy that fills a role too. So at least they have some options. And uh, on the back end, of course, they've got a very nice piece at, uh, on defense in Dougie Hamilton. And uh, the hope is that he can be a linchpin that drives the offense here. But uh, there's some room for upward mobility. Uh, a lot of people have to, have to reach their their best efforts in order to keep this team in the race, I think. Well, you mentioned the injury woes. You know, Mackenzie Blackwood uh, went underwent off-season surgery for, uh, for a heel injury. He's still out, hasn't played yet. Then today, kind of the surprise news, kind of out of left field, is Jonathan Bernier dealing with a lower body injury, and he won't play to get tonight, which means it's the Scott Wedgwood show against the Washington Capitals, uh, which is, is not encouraging for the Devils. So you've got uh, your top point producer so far this season out, and uh, your, your best net-minding options uh, both uh, unavailable as well. They're going to need... You know they might be able to get past Buffalo, although we you know we talked about Buffalo playing a little bit better to start the year. They might be able to get past Buffalo without Bernier. Um, I don't think they're going to get past Washington tonight. I, I would expect the Capitals to to put a put a licking on them tonight, to to say the least. Uh, in Nashville, we've got uh, not a ton of injury concerns with this team. They've been pretty solid. Um, you know, middle middle-of-the-road team, for, for lack of a better term. Offensively, you know, Mikael Granlund, Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi leading the way through their first three games. Uh, they're right there, you know, one and two. It's early in the season, but that puts them fourth in the Central. Again, we talked about it being a little bit of a weaker uh, division potentially, so nothing to worry about there. Um, I just don't know what else to say about this club, really, Paul. You know, they're, they're getting, my, you know, Solid production on the guys that they need to so far. It's a small sample size, obviously, with just three games. And I, I want to see more before I really can truly uh, give a good spin on, on where this team stands. Because it is hard to you know evaluate on only a couple of games. UC Saros, for his part, despite the two losses, his save percentage is, is fine. The goals against average is fine. Um, that, that's how I would describe Nashville season right now. Fine. It's fine. <laughs> and you know what? Uh, three guys that I was watching, uh, three veterans on this club offensively, I wanted to see what kind of a start they would have. Michael Grandlin, for instance, was the subject of a lot of trade rumors, a lot of them linking him to Toronto, actually, in the offseason. He's come out, burst out of the gate with four points so far. This guy is a couple of years removed for a 60-plus point season. It looks like he's angling for much the same uh, to lead this club offensively. But more encouraging than, than that is... 
the two-headed monster that is really eating up a lot of their salaries, and that's Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne. Each of them at least can point to the fact that they've each scored a goal so far, and that's prom- promising because they both have had struggles score- finding that with any regularity. So if they can pump, pump up their average to what is more in line with their contract, there'll be a lot of lot broad smiles in, in Nashville about this team going forward. The New York Islanders, the concern in net with Semyon Varlamov appears like it's going to go by the wayside, and he's expected to make a start this weekend in all likelihood, so that's very good news. Beyond that, this is a team that's loaded offensively for me, AJ, as well as the defensive acumen around this club. So it's rather surprising that they're only off to a one and two start. They have to be concerned about the fact that they've stumbled badly against two of the conference heavyweights in Florida and Carolina. Maybe some home cooking is what this team needs, and they're quite a ways away from that, though, because they have a long road trip to start the season before they get to play in their new digs. So this this could be digging a bit of a hole that we didn't expect from the Islanders and make their uh, trip back into playoff contention a little more rocky than we might have expected. Uh, they look to be a lock for a postseason playoff spot, but I don't like the way this is trending early on with a lot of goals against uh, that I didn't see coming from a, a structure as so defensively sound as we forecast. At least offensively, they can point to the fact that Oliver Wallstrom has been delivering the goods. He's got three goals. That's uh, that's three of the eight goals that they've got as a team. So they need others to step up. Anthony Beauvillier is doing his part. But the likes of Josh Bailey, one assist. Brock Nelson, one goal. Matthew Barzal, one goal. This is point totals also for these three guys. They need to step it up. And uh, that's really the part that's been missing here, as well as the lack of defensive structure that's led to 12 goals against yeah, Paul, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Look, the, the not having Simeon Varlamov to start the year is a big, big issue. And the fact that they aren't playing at home yet. You, you know, you mentioned now they will have, so they play tonight, then Saturday and Sunday, and then they have a full five days off um, before their next, you know, road trip, which I think is only fair when you have a team that starts the season with 16 uh, road games because of the, the arena situation. So, if they can get through this with kind of a middle-of-the-road record, I, I think you call that a win, right? You start the year, you're away from home right away, unfamiliar settings, your, your top netminder's been injured. Now today, uh, you know, uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot is dealing with a, a, a game-time decision injury for him, so he's questionable tonight. So, like, there's all these things that have kind of chipped away. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too worried if I'm an Isles fan. You did mention... Rightfully so, that the losses against Carolina and Florida, who are better teams, and then the one win comes against Chicago, who's struggling early on. So there, there is – you could go both ways on it. You could say, oh, well, you know, there's all these other reasons they shouldn't be winning. You could point to the fact that they've lost against good teams, which is a concern. For me, I, I land on, on not being too worried about the situation yet. For the other New York club, the, the Rangers things – we're looking uh, slightly better as a two-in-one start to the year. Obviously, the, the big injury concern for them, uh, two really, is, is Capocacco is on injured reserve uh, with an upper body injury. He'll be out at least um, until the, the 25th here. So he's got a few more games that he's got to sit out just from being on injured reserve. And, and that doesn't speak to whether or not um, – He'll even be ready once he's able to be activated on the 25th, but he'll be out at least the next two. And then Ryan Strom has also been sidelined after landing 
on the league's COVID protocol list and, and all that. There's so much that goes into that. I'm not even going to project when he may or may not be back. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into that. So some injury concerns to start the year, but offensively, Mika Sabinajak, Chris Kreider, Artemi Panarin, and Adam Fox are their four leading point totals with three or more points to, to for each of them. Uh, nothing to be worried about offensively. They're getting production off, you know, at both ends of the ice here, or, or rather from the forwards and the defensemen. So I, I like what they're doing. Shesterkin has looked really good to start the year, a .949 save percentage in, in three appearances. Not a lot to be worried about here uh, other than those those dinged up, uh, dinged up players, in my opinion, Paul. No question about that, AJ. I agree with your assessment, so I'm going to jump right into the Ottawa Senators, and they've got to be excited about the fact that their leader, on-ice leader and off the ice, frankly, is a youngster by the name of Brady Tuchuk. He finally looks like he's ready to make his season debut on the first line left wing. That means that the value for Josh Norris and Drake Batherson will go up dramatically in DFS ownership because that, that guy is the guy that stirs the drink over here. And uh, I, I like the makeup of this team, AJ. When that's your first line, that's something you can point to with some pride. And then they're looking for the next step to be taken by guys like Shane Pinto and Chris Tierney in the middle of the ice. So that's a nice three pieces that they've got in the center position. And then don't forget they've got a, a young guy on defense who I think is one of the better power play quarterbacks and a big-time minute eater in Thomas Shabbat. All these guys are going to – I'm going to expect big seasons from them, and they all should be north of 40 to 50 points, and some of them even higher than that. I think Tuchuk could lead this club with as many as 70. So there's a high, high upside for them and a lot of excitement around this team, and I think – Matt Murray finally looking ready to resume action this season is going to help this club in the nets. He has something to prove after a bit of a subpar and injury-plagued season last year. I look for an uptick in his level of play. This team could threaten her for a playoff spot even in the Atlantic. Well, yeah, absolutely, Paul. I think if I if I told you before the start of the season that Philip Gustafson and Anton Forsberg were going to play their first three games of the year, uh, you would have expected them to be 0-3, especially when you consider two of those games against Toronto and, and one against Dallas. I don't think you would have expected them to come out with a single win. Um, they'll they'll get Murray back, as you mentioned, uh, and, and he'll ease into it, if you will, with a start against the San Jose Sharks tonight. Um, potential for him to, that's a, that's a good game, I think, for him to come back on. In terms of the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, they've got, what I would argue has probably been uh, one of the surprise stories of the season in terms of offense. Joel Farabee leading uh, the team with three goals, three assists. Uh, and then, you know, Derek Broussard is, is second on the team with five. Keith Yandel Rock, uh, comes in third also with five assists. Uh, I think the big thing with Yandel is he's been seeing plenty of power play minutes. Two of his five assists have come with the man advantage. And that's one to watch. He's, again, another player whose DFS salary has yet to really adjust to where um, where he's producing and, and where he's seeing minutes in terms of power play and, uh, and somebody that I at least have been targeting early on to the season here. The goaltending, on the other hand, uh, has been a little bit suspect at times. You've got uh, Carter Hart, 1-0-1. Uh, Point nine two one save percentage. That doesn't really reflect, I think, what we're what we're actually seeing, especially when you consider, um, you know, they they had the four five game against Vancouver, uh, bounced back a little bit against Seattle, 
And then Marty Jones did okay, actually, against Boston, limited them to just three three goals. But they've been relying heavily on the offense. 16 goals to start the year uh, and, and definitely showing a little bit of a different dynamic than I think we thought they might heading into the season, at least for me. Uh, Giroux, Couturier, and Konechny were the three I expected to power the offense, but it's been the second line that's looked really good to start the year. No question. And I want to spend a moment to talk about the defense. They're, they're going to have to shore things up to protect their netminders, uh, who saw a lot of rubber in the Vancouver game the other night and lost in a shootout. Before that, only four goals against. They'll take that in, in a two-game stretch. But uh, I want to point out the block shot totals for Provorov and Sandheim, 14 and 12 respectively, among the league leaders in the NHL. That's good news for them. And then they've got two guys who can pick up the offense and deliver in Ryan Ellis and uh, Keith Yandel, both of them figuring out offensively, accounting for four and five points respectively. Excuse me, I better mark that, sorry. So, anyway, back to Philadelphia. In the three, two, one. In the Nets, we thought there'd be a question mark with Carter Hart and Mark Martin Jones. Jones, for his part, uh, faced 40 shots in his debut, turned aside 37, and got the W. Hart, for his part, has stopped 92.1% of the shots against him so far. So the early returns in the net, better than we expected. I don't know that we can expect that to be uh, something that we see all season long, AJ. And so that's where I'll raise a bit of a concern going forward. We're going to take a break now, as we typically do before AJ warms us up with his look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. So you're listening to the podcast with Statsman and AJ. We'll be back with, with you right after these words from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back with Statsman and AJ giving you the podcast where we highlight all the top players and even some of the disappointments around the NHL on a week-to-week basis. And we're going to continue that look in just a second. But AJ, it's time for you to give our listeners a look into Owner's Box. Are you looking for a new way to play fantasy sports? Owner's Box offers two game types, tournament, salary cap, and head-to-head live drafts. All new players receive a $25 bonus when they deposit $10 or more on the platform. Be sure to check out Owner's Box's new Superflex Salary Cap Game, a revolutionary new way to play fantasy football that brings a new strategic alternative to the traditional season-long formats and daily fantasy games. The Superflex Salary Cap format, available only on Owner's Box, removes the kicker and defensive position slots and focuses only on offensive players. Users will build their nine-player lineup while staying under the $50,000 salary cap. Large prize pools will be available throughout the season. The Superflex position, the main differentiator in the contest, gives the users the option to select an additional quarterback, running back, wide receiver, or tight end. Ultimately, it makes the quarterback a premium position versus the other fantasy formats. And don't worry, listeners, Owner's Box has NHL contests live on the site for this season. Play the Owner's Box Salary Cap Contest for free. Use promo code DREW, that's D-R-E-W-9, for a free $10 entry into the Sunday-only 50K Salary Cap Contest. AJ, you and I have had good success with our DFS picks so far this season. We urge our listeners to hang on to the end of the show where we're going to give our picks ahead of tonight's game. But before that, I also want to bring to your attention, I've fielded a few questions on my Twitter feed, and you probably have as well in the early going. And why don't you tell our listeners how they can continue to send us their comments or questions? Absolutely. We definitely encourage you to send any comments or questions that you may have about fantasy hockey, hockey in general, whether it's season-long or DFS. You can reach me on Twitter at AJSholes24, and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. We'll be happy to share the best questions that we get on an upcoming podcast as well. Speaking of upcoming, our two teams face off on the weekend, AJ, so the battle lines are drawn between you and me. Why don't you tell me what's going on with the Pittsburgh Penguins? I'm going to relay all this information down to MLSE right after the show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's nothing good, that's, that's for sure. Um, you know, the, the Penguins, obviously, Malkin out until, like, December. Crosby uh, came out today, will not be ready in time to play Saturday, so they're without him. And then this morning, the news that Jeff Carter and Tristan Jari are both on the COVID-19 Ooh. protocol list. Uh, both players are uh, asymptomatic, so they do have until Saturday at, you know, 6 p.m. Central time here um, to to test negative twice and so they could still be options Um, but right now based on all those center injuries Evan Rodriguez is poised to be the number one center for the Penguins and I haven't even mentioned the fact that Brian Rust is on injured reserve as well with an undisclosed injury that is labeled as week to week so there has not been good news 
in the slightest on the injury front here. Uh, fortunately, somehow the Penguins are 2-0-2, so they've got at least a point in all of their games. Relatively tough competition to start the year when you consider Tampa Bay, Florida, Chicago, and Dallas are the four teams they face. It's not going to get any easier. After Toronto, they'll have two days off, and then they face the Lightning again, who no doubt are going to be looking for some revenge after the Penguins spoiled the banner raising there. In terms of Saturday's game, uh, at this point, even if he is able to clear the protocols, I would expect that Tristan Jari probably doesn't start on Saturday. The fact that he wasn't able to practice today probably won't be able to practice tomorrow either. So Casey DeSmith in the mix to, to start. I don't have any confirmation on that. That's just kind of my reading of things as far as the Penguins go. So I should spend some money on that game, I think. I'm not going to back you in the corner and make a bet on it with you, but uh, <laughs> but this will probably be the game where I'm all excited and the, and the Penguins will upset my club, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut and move on to the next One season. can only hope, Paul. One can only hope. <laughs> we'll talk about the Seattle Crack and the Expansion Club has played uh, five games already this season. They've lost four, but they picked up their first win against Nashville. And i got to give Nashville's media guys some, some love here. They sent out a tweet with a banner, a Nashville banner that said, congratulations to Seattle on the first win in franchise history. I thought that was a classy move by uh, uh, one of the better uh, social media groups around the NHL. On the ice, uh, you and I can both be happy for Jared McCann and his early start with this club. It was something that I expected. Once the Leafs weren't able to hold on to him, I thought this would be a guy who'd be maybe one of the best offensive pieces here. He's a guy that fit in everywhere in the Pittsburgh lineup, and I was very optimistic that he would only improve his offensive totals, and happy to see that he has a good guy in the game. Five points so far in the five games played. Right behind him, another guy that expected to be an offensive leader is Jonas Donskoy with three assists. Brandon Tanev, something of a surprise to get three goals for this club, tying for the leadership in that category. And in the Nets, they've had credible work from uh, Joey Decord and Chris Dreger, but the workhorse, Philip Rubar, his numbers are a little more crooked than they'd like with a four goals against, four or two goals against, and a save percentage south of nine by a good margin here, AJ. Yeah, I think the, the interesting thing for Seattle in terms of, of gauging this team is that we haven't really seen them at full bore yet in terms of what their lineup could be. You know, Yanni Gord missed uh, the, the start of the season here with, you know, he missed the first four games with an injury, a, a shoulder injury. They've lost, you know, Marcus Johansson is another player who's who's out indefinitely with a lower body injury after getting hurt in the opening night game. Chris Dreger comes in as, uh, you know, to sub in, uh, in relief in a game, and he gets hurt. Kelly Yarncrock was on the COVID protocol list, although he's trending in the right direction toward being ready. So we really haven't gotten a good look, in, in my opinion, at, at what this team could be. Um, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, if they get Yarncrock back and he can pair up with Yanni Gord and, and we can really see what that first line or really top six truly looks like, um, it'll allow us to kind of better evaluate this team moving forward. In San Jose... Paul, look, I think Eric Carlson must have been listening a couple weeks ago when we uh, maligned him a little bit for, for struggling and the fact that, you know, does the power play really work uh, with both him and Burns? Well, he's got four points to start the year, three of those helpers coming uh, with the man advantage there. So he's certainly powering the offense for them. In terms of net mining for the Sharks, 
Uh, it's been all Aiden Hill to start the year in their two games. Uh, decent numbers of 1.50 goals against average. Uh, I would expect, you know, we'll continue to see mostly Hill uh, moving forward, but James Reimer is no slouch. He'll factor in at some point, including tonight. It'll be Reimer who gets his first uh, debut in tonight's matchup with Ottawa. Good spot to maybe use him. Um, although Ottawa, as, as we highlighted, has been uh, performing well to start the year. Yeah, I'm surprised they're giving Reimer the start tonight instead of Tor- Toronto visits uh, ho- hosts the club, San Jose club tomorrow, and that would have been something of a homecoming for a real fan favorite in Toronto. So I'm a little bit disappointed to see that split, and that's what maybe they're taking some pressure off Reimer with uh, that matchup. The St. Louis Blues, this is a team that, look, a lot of teams, have, a lot of people have really panned this club, AJ, but I've seen them in a couple of games, and they've played some heavyweights off the beginning, and they've fared fairly well. They've won all three of their games, and two of those tilts were against Las Vegas and Colorado, the, the conference heavyweights, I'll say, not even the division heavyweights out west, and St. Louis has come out on top twice. It's the offense that has carried the load, and we'll get to Bennington in a second, but the offense, when you see the likes of O'Reilly, Perron, Thomas, Barbership, there are names that we expected to be in the mix. But Jordan Cairo leads them all with seven points. And if you picked him in a late sleeper position, he's full value for that because he's in the mix in the top nine forwards and getting a lot of ice time right now. And the shooting percentage, he's only got eight shots on goal in the three games, but two of them have gone in. You like that rate to be in, uh, continuing, but you'd like more volume out of him. But the veteran guys that uh, are supposed to lead this club have done so. And then in the Nets, they've gotten some credible work out of uh, Jonathan, uh, Jordan Bennington, who has appeared in each of the starts and has faced a lot of rubber in those contests, averaging about 34 shots on goal against. And with a save percentage of 92, his mathematics look really solid so far. Next up, we're going to take a look at the... the where are we now? I love that place. Uh, we're, we're looking at Tampa Bay, AJ. And this is a team that... You know what? Maybe they've got a bit of a Stanley Cup hangover going on here. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to cut them a mulligan because this is a team that still has a lot of the key pieces up front. They've got a great start out of Steven Stankos and Victor Hedman offensively. Certainly the numbers in net have not favored the goaltending situation and the defensive posture that this team normally rolls out. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky sporting a 3-2-2 goals against average. Uh, what do you see in Tampa here? that is a reason for this slow start, other than maybe that hangover that I spoke about. Well, obviously, the, the biggest news, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a conspiracy theorist, which, Paul, sometimes I think you trend this direction, uh, <laughs> is Nikita Kucherov being injured again and placed on long-term injured reserve. Now, they're not expecting him to miss the rest of the season, um, but he'll be out for a little bit of time, and so they have suddenly that that dreaded cap flexibility that comes with with Kucherov being out of the lineup. I am not surprised that they're continuing to give Vasilevsky essentially the space he needs to play through some, as you mentioned, early season jitters. They've got the ability to do that. Gave up three in a loss to Pittsburgh, then gives up six in a win against Detroit. It started to trend a little bit better with the one goal allowed against Washington. And so I I think he's starting to play through. So I I anticipate things are going to get better. But obviously, not having Nikita Kucherov does stretch their depth. And this is not the same team that we've seen in the last couple of years. 
Um, this fourth line is, is, at least for me, is not quite as encouraging as it has been in the past. Um, you know, that really the guys on their third line right now, Patrick Maroon, Ross Colton, Corey Perry, those were more of the guys playing on uh, fourth line minutes in the past. So they're, again, they're not as deep and, and I'm not sure they're as well suited this time around to handle uh, the Kucherov absence, but it'll be on Steven Stamkos certainly to do so. In Toronto, the Leafs uh, are facing uh, a, a layup of a matchup against the Penguins that they should absolutely win. Uh, just to get that in there, Paul, to maybe jinx it a little bit more, um, given all the injuries that are going on. If you know, if I'm looking for the positives here, obviously you're going to point to Willie Nylander, four points in four games. John Tavares, two assists in, in two games. Miss um, Marner, a little bit of a disappointment, I would say, based solely on point production, one assist. And obviously Austin Matthews just has one game under his belt after you know missing the first couple of the games a year. That's not one to be worried about. I would expect him to get on the score sheet pretty soon, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Saturday. Paul, what do you have to say about your Leafs? Well, I don't know if you saw that debut by Matthews. He had 16 shot attempts in that game. A remarkable record, even for him. I was shocked that he didn't score at least a couple of goals, including the overtime winner. He was absolutely un- unlucky not to get that uh, in his uh, call, and it would have been his 200th career goal. So maybe we'll see the 200th career goal and hit on the weekend. But in the meantime, there are some positives to report. In Michael Bunting, they I think they've found something here. The guy's got three points in four games. He goes to the front of the net. I'm not going to say he's a, a direct uh, relative or uh, mirror image of, of Zach Hyman, but I really like what this guy brings to the table. He has a nose for that and hangs around there, and he get, he's he got a couple of goals just by doing that. He's playing with some good players, and so he's a good low-end DFS value play to pair with the heavyweights if you're looking at a leaf stack on a nightly basis. He's well-positioned to be a part of it. And then Rasmus Sandin looks to me. He's taken the next step in his development. He's got two assists on his record, and he's playing the second power play unit here. So reason to believe that there is uh, a, a new piece in the mix uh, to help boost this offense and maybe the overall structure of the team even more. In the Nets, Jack Campbell has certainly taken the load, and he's had to because Peter Mrazek is out for a couple of weeks with a groin injury. Uh, all reports are that it won't be a long-term absence, and that's good news. But it also, if you're looking forward and you think Campbell's going to need a contract at the end of the season, A.J., I don't know that the Leafs can fit him in when they're already paying Mrazek $3.8 million. So uh, this is a very interesting situation that is unfolding in Toronto. And then you throw in the fact that Morgan Riley, maybe their linchpin among their back end, is also a guy that's going to need a contract. I don't know how they shoehorn either of these guys in without dealing one of the big contracts. And it could be the last stand for this team in the big four if they don't go far. So a lot of moving parts in Toronto, but... uh, Boy, they play an entertaining brand of hockey. I got to say that, and uh, they are primed for some success if things do fall into place. The Vancouver Canucks, another team that is primed for success, in my opinion. AJ, they've retooled around this team in a very good, good way. They've added Connor Garland, a really nice piece in the offseason, and he's been everything that that I expected and more. He's got four points already in the mix, and he's a feisty guy in the mold 
of, uh, of uh, the guy that I mentioned in Toronto uh, in, uh, in terms of ability to get around the net and be a factor offensively and be uh, somebody that the opposition gets an immediate hate for. But then you also factor in a nice one-two punch at center. Elias Pettersson looks to be back and healthy, and we remember how he was in a couple of years ago. He hasn't reached that level of play in the early going yet, but if he can get there, him and Horvat, that's a heck of a one-two punch in the middle of the ice. Well, and I think it's important to note that Brock Besser is only one game back uh, from injury, so they haven't had him available to start the season, which has you know stretched the, the depth here a little bit. I, I definitely like their lineup better when they can put Pedersen and, and Besser together on a line um, and give them a little more punch. They, they've been able to also move JT Miller into a third-line center role, which I think gives them a, another scoring option here. The concern is obviously Quinn Hughes on, on the back end. Um, he, he's missed one game. He'll be a game-time call tonight. Uh, if you're a Canucks fan, obviously you want to want to see him play as soon as possible. In Vegas, injuries have been the name of the game for this team uh, to start the season. They've got Max Pacioretty out long-term. Mark Stone continues to be uh, out of the lineup with a lower body injury, though good news on his front is that he won't need surgery and was classified as like more than day-to-day, but less than week-to-week than Coach Pete DeBoer. Um, they did just get Nicholas Waugh back. Uh, that'll certainly improve their depth here. Uh, Matthias Janmark today was able to clear COVID protocols and join the team at practice. So uh, trending in the right direction, but they are going to continue to be out here in the short term with two of their best players. And I think that really leans heavily on Jonathan Marchesol to really find something in his game. Evgeny Dadanov is another player that I think needs to step up with those guys unavailable. Um, and on the back end, they've had, they have plenty of options, um, but you never want to lose a guy like Alec Martinez, another player, no real indication or update on his status ever after leaving Wednesday's game with an undisclosed injury uh, and, and one to monitor here. So, it's been all about the injuries, guys, in and out of the lineup for the Vegas Golden Knights to start the year. There's no root, truth to the rumor that you have a voodoo doll there uh, with Marc-Andre Fleury's number <laughs> in a Vegas uniform, is there? I, I can't believe all the misfortune that Vegas has, has had since they let the veteran goalie go. And uh, you, uh, I think you have something to do with it in the eighth <laughs> The Washington Capitals, a team that has been relying on their top-end players to deliver, has seen their signature guy burst out of the gate. Alexander Ovechkin, four goals in three games played. One of them was an empty netter, but three, the other three have been the patented Adobe slapper and wrist shots, and so he's in fine form, and his running mate so far has been Evgeny Kuznetsov. He hasn't missed a beat uh, with missing on uh, Nick Backstrom, who will be out for a little while yet, but uh, the Capitals' offense is coming from a familiar faces. Tom Wilson, four assists, John Carlson. Dmitry Orlov, partnered with Carlson, factors in. Beyond that, T.J. Oshie lagging these guys with only two points in three games, but still on the, on the scoreboard. So it's their veteran guys that have carried the load. And I have a lot of time for Anthony Mantha, who is also being featured on the number one power play. He's kind of in Ovi's shadow. We talked about him earlier today on DraftKings segment that we were on. And I am really big on this guy, and I think he's the centerpiece for the second scoring line here for years to come. I think the interesting thing to continue to watch here is is the goalie split. You know, uh, Vidic Vanasek got the first two games, then, then Ilya Samsonov did finally get um, the the third one here. 
both guys performing uh, decently well. Vanasek's numbers are a little bit better. No news yet as far as you know recording time here on who's going to start tonight for them against the Devils. But it's definitely a situation to watch. It looks like maybe Vanasek has the inside track here over Samsonov uh, to start, but I would imagine hot hand will keep the goal for much of the year. In Winnipeg, this is another team, uh, much like the, the Golden Knights, that injuries, well, not really injuries, but absences, rather, have been kind of key here. Blake Wheeler uh, was put on the, the COVID, uh, tested positive for COVID-19, and unfortunately, he's dealing with symptoms, which, uh, again, not to get too much into weeds, but that means you have a minimum 10-day quarantine uh, when that happens. So he won't be back uh, until the 28th at the earliest, assuming everything else trends in the right direction for them. And then today, this morning, they put uh, their their uh, their number one center, Mark Shifley, goes on the COVID protocol list. Now, the difference there is that Shifley already has tested negative once. He's asymptomatic, so there is the possibility that Shifley will still play tonight's game. He's awaiting the results of a second test. We won't know the details of that really until closer to puck drop. So if you are a Shifley owner or want to use him in DFS or really conversely want to look at John Gibson in DFS, you're going to need to like check this one basically when the team hits the ice for warm-ups, I think, to see whether or not Shifley's in the game. But that completely shifts a lot of strategy uh, in, in terms of fantasy in general for this team if, if they have both Wheeler and Shifley out of the lineup tonight. No question about that at all, partner. Uh, a lot of people north of the border, they like to give a hot list for the Canadian teams. And everybody at the beginning of the season, had a lot of people had Winnipeg Jets as the top team in Canada this season. And certainly their early struggles are making that a higher mountain to climb than, than I anticipated. I thought they'd be right in contention from the get-go. But missing Shifley and Wheeler, you thought that, I think that would be a, a knife through the heart of this offense, but they can still point to the likes of Pierre-Luc Dubois and Paul Stastny to center the top two lines, and that's a very credible option. Andrew Kopp can move up to a second scoring line, but the question mark for me is on the left side, do they put Jansen Harkins or Evgeny Svechnikov in that role? So you can see that losing two key guys like Shifley and Wheeler will impact the offensive depth there and put more pressure on the defensive structure. And Connor Hellebuck hasn't been exactly lights out in the goaltending department so far, so he'll be challenged to lower the goals against average that's well north of four at the moment. So that's our first turn around the league uh, in after a week, partner, and uh, we now will turn our attention to DraftKings lineup that you put together ahead of tonight's busy schedule. Yeah, so for me, I'm really going to key in on two uh, matchups that, that I want to target here. And, and I tip my hand to, to Carolina against Montreal. I, and the Habs are just struggling really bad. So I'm going to full-on stack that first line, which you're able to do because Jesper Kanemi is only 3400 on DraftKings. So you save on him. You spend up a little more for Sebastian Ajo at 6100 and Tuvo Teravainen at 6300 So I'll go the full first line, and then I'm going to go two-thirds of the Washington line. I talked about the fact that Wedgwood is getting the start tonight. That's obviously a big concern. Um, if you're if you're a Devils fan, they won't have uh, Jack Hughes tonight. So Kuznetsov at 5,900 rounds out my centers. And Ovechkin, I think paying up for him in this spot at 8,200 really makes a lot of sense. So my entire 
kind of center and wing positions filled with those two groups. In terms of defense, I'm going to go a high-low here. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a favorite target of mine, so I'll start by going uh, high with the no-brainer pick, and that's Adam Fox. Yes, a heavy price tag at, at 6600 here, um, but if you pair him with a guy like Nick Letty, who has seen a decent amount of power play minutes of late, including 320 in their last game. Uh, that was actually more power play minutes uh, than, than Philip Ronick. And I think he can offer some kind of uh, a bit of an offensive production. And at 3,800, you know, if he can pick up like one uh, assist or maybe even just put up a couple shots, I think you'll be pretty happy with that. My utility guy tonight is going to be Zach Parise. Uh, he's lined up for to actually move to center if Peugeot is out. Um, and I don't really mind that at 2,500. It's, it's a bit of a toss-away spot, I'll admit. Um, but that third line for the Islanders can produce. They are going up against Columbus, who's gotten really good net mining to start the year. But I think this is kind of a different animal for them. Um, and, and I would expect maybe some depth guys can get a few points. In between the nets, I am going to go with kind of the the risky play. This is a GPP option for you for sure. I'm not sure I would do this in a cash game, but John Gibson for Anaheim, 6,800 tonight. Very cheap, has performed very well to start the year. And again, for sure, no Shifley tonight and possibly no Wheeler either. Um, And I think that would be all the more reason to kind of fade the Winnipeg Jets tonight. And that's why I'll use John Gibson in that. I really like the look of that lineup, AJ, and uh, I haven't said that often enough about your picks. I, I find, even though you've had a very high success rate, so kudos to you for going that route. I'm going to go a little bit dif- different route, picking up a few players from different teams here. No real stacks in mind when I review the roster, but I think it'll make sense at the end of the day when I pay, pay get paid here. So uh, at center ice, I'm sacrificing a look at some of the bigger options and going down the list, but I'm still getting two guys that are number one centers with their respective clubs, and they have favorable matchups, albeit they're both on the road. I'll begin with Bo Horvat at center for Vancouver. He's had a very nice early season begin, beginning to uh, the campaign, and the Canucks look like they're poised to be one of the more improved teams in the league. You mentioned there were some current concerns with the early going in the, in the nets for that club, but I think That'll get straightened away. Marcus Markstrom, for me, is going to be a guy that's in contention for the Vezina Trophy by the end of the season. That's my uh, hot take on the Vancouver team right now. I'll pair him with Matthew Barzell at center for the Islanders. He's clearly the most dynamic forward in a team that's pretty deep. They've had some struggles early on, but I don't think tonight will be adding to that as they visit Columbus, a team that's played well so far, but I think is in over their heads with the visiting Islanders on top. Then Florida and Colorado, that's the game of the night for sure. And I'll be looking for some of the big guys to trade trade big blows against one another. This has a making of a big heavyweight prize fight. And I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair. And Jonathan Huberdeau factors in as the most expensive guy on my team. I fit, fit him in for $7,700, looking for a big game for him, not only on regular shift, but on the power play. There'll be a parade to the penalty box in this one, I think, too. And while you panned the Jets at center and the top-end guys, I still... Have to find a way to get Kyle Connor into the mix. He's had a very nice start to his season. And with the other two guys missing, he'll be a real focal point of their offense tonight. And I think he will deliver. He's a clutch player for this team and part of their leadership core. And he knows what's at stake. And he wants to continue his early success. And a good shot to do it against Anaheim, I think. 
Then a couple of defensemen that I spoke about uh, in glowing terms earlier on are cheap on the board tonight, and I need to go this route to fit in some of the big money I spent elsewhere. Moritz Sider for the Red Wings against the visiting Calgary Flames, I think, is a guy that I got to pin my hopes on. And then Cam Fowler, another one for $4,000, is a guy that factors into the mix for the visiting Ducks as they face Winnipeg tonight. Then rounding out my squad on the wings, I spoke uh, actually in the extra forward positions. I've got Ryan Nugent Hopkins for $6,200 with Edmonton visiting Arizona. It could be a points night for the visitors. It could be a points night anytime that McDavid and Dreisaitl suit up. And so far, Nugent Hopkins has been along for the ride, as I said. And then I also highlighted Anthony Manta for Washington. Alex Ovi Light, I'm calling him. He's a big, strong guy with a great shot and factors into the top-line power play as well as playing second-line minutes as, as the trigger guy there. And in goal, I already tipped my hand on this. Freddie Anderson brings his 12-4-2 mark against Montreal in his career into this tilt. And uh, I'm going to love looking at the internet tomorrow when I see Montreal on an 0-5 record after that one. <laughs> AJ, that wraps up our look around the league in the first week of the NHL. We apologize for going long, but we've got to talk about 32 teams. So we encourage you to hang in with us uh, to at least cover your favorite teams off. And we're going to give you tips on who's hot and who's not tell you injury news, and we hope you like what you heard. If you have any suggestions for us to change course or do something different, please don't hesitate to send the notes our way. We thank you for listening to the podcast with Statsman and AJ. And partner, any final notes before we go uh, off into the sunset today? No, I'll just add that, that I wrote down that the nicest thing Paul Bruno could say about the Montreal Canadiens is they won't go winless. <laughs> I like it. It just won't happen tonight, partner. That's my thought. In any case, that wraps up our look around the league in in uh, the first regular season episode of the podcast with Statsman and AJ. We hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we encourage you to check out our sponsor at Owner's Box. You'll be glad you did. In the meantime, as always, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. You can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.